2: I'm Jason Kander. I'm Robbie Gupta.
1: And I'm Grace Lynch.
2: And this is Majority 54, the podcast for meaningful conversations that change minds, change votes, and win elections. Uh, We're going to talk about a couple of things this week. We're going to talk some trash about George Santos, just because that is still going. We're also going to definitely get into the speaker race uh, and talk a little bit about this January 6th report and anniversary But before we do that, you know, we usually do this very lighthearted banter um, about the Bills and about the Chiefs, and it's obviously not very lighthearted right now. So, Ravi, what what are the Bills fandom? I don't know. Give us that perspective, I guess, on... I I think everybody knows about this at this point, that that DeMar Hamlin went down and had cardiac arrest during the game on Monday Night Football. Uh, It was really disturbing for everyone, and the game... Uh, has been suspended and we don't know when it's going to be played. And it's one of those moments where sports uh, has left just the cone of sports stuff in the country and gone into the entire culture.
0: I think people in Buffalo are really worn out right now. If you think about it, we had the mass shooting, the extreme weather and deaths from the snowstorms just last week, and this, you know, and so, and obviously, this is among cities and towns like the the team and and the city are very intertwined and people are just kind of shocked and hoping for the best it seems as of this recording that there's some positive indications but it's just crazy to think about how rare i was just, i was reading this morning about just how rare this particular type of occurrence is is cardiac you know, arrest for a better sense of the word. I was reading this, like, only five people in the country had a similar type of incident. So it's just freak occurrence, but a reminder that football is a very violent sport and that these athletes put themselves at risk. And it was just really weird because, you know, obviously we take this the wins and losses so seriously. It was just, this is the time of year when we're, like, they're talking about the playoffs and stuff like that, but it seems so unimportant right now.
2: Yeah, it was very... Um you know, obviously, like you said, the playoff seeding and everything is so unimportant. But of course, going into the game, uh, you know, we were all watching as Chiefs fans, like everybody in town was watching because it was really going to have a lot to do with what happens with the Chiefs in terms of where they're going in the playoffs. And now, like, I don't know, True and I talked about it and we're like, I think if they re- if they resume this game, I think we're cheering for the Bills, which is very much against <laughs> the, what the Chiefs, you know, but it just would feel strange to do anything else.
0: It obviously was weird to see the stagecraft of it all. I was texting you. I had a friend who was with a high-ranking per- person who was in the know in Cincinnati politics, and and the initial indications was that that this was over. I think people thought that he had died on the field, and that's what I thought for a strong a long period of time. And at that point, you're like what the hell do we do now as a, as a fan base, as a, as a, you know, people watch the sport, like, what does this mean for the future of the sport? And I think those questions continue to linger regardless of what happens here is that I think I forget the book that that sort of went deep into the NFL, but I think it was Mark Leovich's book about the NFL basically said that Goodell's worry was always that something like this would happen and they don't really, they're not really prepared for how to answer questions about what the sport really means it's A sport that we love like, What does it mean when the inevitable occurs when you have people in, you know who are so strong and fast just barreling into each other like this? I think what made this particularly scary was that it wasn't what you'd picture the most violent moment looking like. It looked like a very run-of-the-mill play. It's a lot, and the fact that the NFL or whoever, I don't want to, like, who knows who made what decision, but the fact that the NFL was trying to push them to go right back to the game is crazy, and I'm glad that McDermott and Cincinnati's coach, I forget his name, is Zach that Taylor, Taylor I think? Uh, that they that they took this thing over and just said no, I think is a testament to how good those two coaches really are.
1: I think that I've really struggled to watch the NFL this season. And as you guys know, and as I've talked about on the show, I love watching football. My family is huge into football, and Seahawks pride is a really big deal in the Pacific Northwest. And I've just increasingly over time found it less and less enjoyable, mostly because of the injuries. And I think this one was so bizarre, to your point, Ravi, because it wasn't the kind of grotesque injury you typically see and that I've stopped being able to, like, be able to passively watch. And I think that for someone like me who's kind of more teetering on the fence of if this is even a pastime I can enjoy morally, (laughs) I, I think seeing how the NFL chooses to handle this in the upcoming weeks is really going to kind of push that one way or the other. Because I think that the sport does have an opportunity to respond responsibly and compassionately. And I could see that in the moment that wasn't the initial initial choice and that that kind of got reverted. And, you know, those trolls on who, you know, talk about the sport, I mean— on TV, also some of them didn't exactly respond compassionately at first, but like that. Or the got,
0: anti-vaxxers who jumped in saying this was a myocarditis thing, which was infuriating.
1: Yeah, so I think that luckily, I think that that those voices have been mostly drowned out. But to me, this is this is a really pivotal moment to see how this huge influential organization handles something so much more important than the sport, but that the sport is inherently connected to.
2: Well, I can tell you that like as a parent watching it with true with a nine-year-old son uh that was an experience as well right I mean because I you know I've talked a lot in the last year with the with my book coming out and everything I've talked a lot publicly about the idea that there you don't have to be proximate to trauma to feel affected by it and that kind of thing and we're all very quick to be like well I saw that on TV, that doesn't count, but it could be bothering you. There's lots of people who have been close to someone who had a heart attack who, you know, like there's lots of ways that can be triggering, but also for a nine-year-old, I mean, True said to me that night, like as he was brushing his teeth and getting ready for bed after we had been watching the game together, he was like, I've never seen, at that point we didn't know, you know, what the result was medically. Uh, We still don't, but we didn't know whether he had survived. And so at that point, True was like, I don't, I've never seen someone die before, you know? So like, for a nine-year-old who we just were watching a football game now i'm not saying that inherently makes the nfl not watchable for kids but it was a that i mean so then we had a whole conversation about that and and then you know uh the next day when people were talking about you know this being as a blunt trauma to the chest you know very rare uh occurrence thing but everybody on the radio was talking about it as when it happens it usually happens in baseball it usually happens in youth baseball to pitchers which, you know, that's true. And and so he, meaning that's true as in that's the opposite of false, but also that's true as in that's my son. Uh, he's a pitcher uh, in, you know, Little League Baseball. And so he, he had lots of questions. And so, and so that was part of the experience. Um, yeah, but the other thing I would say is just like, I think it's just another thing that people have seen now or been exposed to that they have to process and try not to uh, avoid, you know? So, yeah.
0: Well, one last piece on this is I know I talk about Buffalo like I'm a politician running for office there, so I'm (laughs) cognizant of that, but I'm not. Uh, I live in New York City now. I spent three years of my childhood in the area, which is why I became a Bills fan. And I just want to say that there's something really special about the people of Western New York. There's something truly unique about the particular kind of friendly and cohesive that western new york is that shows up in moments like this and it's one of the reasons why i love the franchise is that it's it, it is the public reflection of a culture of western new york that you see here like for instance when tua uh, from the dolphins had his concussions the bills were donating money to his charity right and you're seeing that reciprocated now when Demar hamlin obviously not planning for this moment had had his charity was a toy drive. And I was like, my initial reaction was like, oh my God, there's going to be like... Cadillac, FAO, shorts, toys rolling around Buffalo now because there's like tens of millions of dollars going into this charity, and then of the family, of course, changed the charity. I think because they realized that this was an opportunity. Well, to it's do it's more. like
2: six million dollars now. The original yeah. goal was twenty. And I think they changed
0: it. But I was like, I was laughing to myself because it's like so funny to me to think about like this this very not big city now having millions of dollars of toys <laughs> <laughs> flooding the market. It's just like such a funny and and very heartwarming wrinkle to this whole thing. And so, yeah, and then to see Cincinnati Bengals fans showing up at the at the hospital is, is really cool. And it's it's just such an interesting thing cuz the Bengals are kind of our sister franchise. Like there's a whole history between the Bills and and the Bengals where they got us into the playoffs a few years ago to break our drought and the cities are very similar. It was obviously tragic but also a reflection of some of the good parts of sports fandom too that that showed up here.
2: And now after we've talked about that very serious thing and ended on a heartwarming, wholesome note as best we can, let's talk some trash about George Santos. Let's just go straight into that. Have you ever known, either of you, have you ever known a person like this? I've known a person like this. And I just, I'm curious, have you known a pathological liar before?
0: Yeah, I do. I have a friend who I grew up with in, in middle school who is actually a very nice person, but who could not help but continue to lie it really felt like a chemical thing like almost like a neurological thing like it wasn't even an ethical thing at a certain point you know
2: what is the because this is talking trash what is the funniest lie that that person ever told because I I, I have a story about that as well but um, take a moment and think because that's what I think this is I mean I don't I, I George santos obviously you know technically a con man right he's reaped rewards out of this but at this level of lies and at this number, this quantity, this depth that he's gone. I, I think this is pathological, obviously. Yes.
1: I'm a little more alarmed that the fact that both of you are like, oh yeah, we know pathological oh, liars, no yeah, big yeah. deal. I don't think it's that what? uncommon. Well I think there
0: are really? there are different types of liars. There are there are self-interested liars, which he he has an element of that. And then there are people who I just think are pathological and they 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 can't help it. They obviously can coexist. And I would say the funniest part of my friend who again is a great human. I hope if he's not listening to this, he's really struggled with this in his life. He would tell stories with you present about things that you both experienced to other people. That was the funniest part of it at a certain point, but also the most frustrating where you'd have to just interject into his own stories and be like, no, 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 no that's not what happened. And it would happen all the time. <laughs> well, like what
2: level of, cause that's embellishment. So like, what yeah. level, like, did he make up whole events? Yeah. That didn't it would happen? be
0: like, you know, I mean, we're talking about middle schoolers in Staten Island, so don't get come at me on this, but it would all about be about like some girls we met or something. And it would be totally made up. Like it would be like, uh-huh. yeah, we're riding bikes to like, New Springville neighborhood and we would just have ridden bikes and maybe he like waved at a girl. But then it would be uh-huh. like, he made out with her. It would be like so like insane, like, and totally made up that it's like, it's not even remotely close to an exaggeration.
2: So Grace, you, you seem to have not had a person like this. Di- yeah. Diana. Well,
1: I think unfortunately I just haven't realized it yet, which yeah. makes me mm-hmm. like, I'm now going through a role like of swindler who has stuff. duped me. Yeah. yeah. Although those are, <laughs> I still,
0: I still think those are different. Those like the Tinder swindler types and all that. Cause they What's are, that? they're like, these are like the Netflix shows about like people who are like, expert con people with total made up stories and stuff. Santos may be that, but I think there's a difference between that and the people who are like, they cannot help it, which I think is different. This guy might Compulsive, the compulsive
2: nature of even, even, even a really interesting uh, event or fact is not enough. It has to go greater. Okay. So uh, there was a guy who Diana went to college with uh, who I then knew, you know, through her um, who would was like this would lie about everything right here's my favorite one at one point he told other people in their friend group that he spoke russian oh my now, god knowing that in this friend group is diana who you know for anybody listening who doesn't know came to the united states from ukraine as a refugee at the age she left at the age of seven arrived here at the age of eight her she spoke russian like she speaks fluent russian it was, it's her first language and she confronted him about this at one point, And he was like, yeah, I speak, I speak Russian. And she was like, you don't. And so she just started speaking to him in Russian in front of everyone. Uh, and, you know, because at this point she didn't know, like he had a problem and she was just like, why would you claim this? And he then replied with gibberish and was just like and just cl- and and did not come off of it and was like no I'm speaking Russian I don't know why you can't understand what I'm saying <laughs> and uh, so that's no. my yeah and that's where I, that's the level I think George Santos is
0: well he he basically had a back and forth with Tulsi Gabbard on Fox News which is the equivalent of what you're describing we can debate my my resume and how I worked with firms such as Goldman is, is it, long, no, is it debatable, debatable or, or is it just debatable. false
1: no it's very debatable I
0: no, no. I, no it's not false at all it's it's debatable i can i can sit down and explain to you what you can do in private equity in in capital intro via servicing limited partners and general partners and we can have this discussion that's going to go way above the american people's head but that's not what i campaigned on i campaigned on delivering results wow. for the american people by, by lowering inflation i can sit down and if you want to have that discussion i'd be glad to tulsi to explain that to you C- and make sure that we, we we settle the score that this is not about settling scores. And I think you just you just kind of highlighted, I think, my concern, the concern that people at home have. You're saying that this discussion will go way above the heads of the American people, basically insulting their intelligence. So not only are you now that's backtracking not, that's on not what I'm lies saying. that I, you've told... But, but... Just to give our listeners a little bit of background here, if, if you're not totally steeped in this, because I know people are coming off a break, and for your own sanity, I, I hope you ignored most of this. So he... Ran and won a flipped seat in Long Island for Congress. And he. this was the second time he ran. And so these lies extend from the first time he ran as well. Just to summarize these lies, we can get into any of them because some are more interesting than others. He lied about being Jewish. He lied about where he went to high school. He he lied about graduating from college. He lied about working for Goldman Sachs. He lied about owning rental properties with tenants who didn't pay, who he blamed, like he was blaming imaginary tenants for not paying and making some point about the pandemic relief or something. My personal, I would, I would not gonna say favorite, I would say the most appalling of all of these, in my opinion, is that he lied about his mom dying on 9 11, uh, which is insane.
1: My winner for most appalling um, was that he lied that he employed four people who died in the Pulse nightclub shooting unbelievable whereas none of those victims had any connection to him and that to me is also pretty abhorrent it's
0: like an extreme ex- example of the friend we have like we talk about friends you have like we've all had a friend i, I imagine who anytime anything happens they have to have some one-upness There's of like You know, like we talk about the bills and be like, well, I've been to Buffalo and it's like, well, okay, like not everything. We just like, we just not, we don't all need to connect to this story. If the sentence doesn't
1: start with I, they have no idea how to contribute. Yeah, Yeah.
0: I have a buddy who's like this, who I joke to, it's like an inside joke of all my friends. It's like whenever some like famous musician dies, all of a sudden it's their favorite band and it'd be like, oh, yeah, pour one out for Fife Dog. And I'm like, well, I've never heard you talk about Tribe Call Quest before until today. But yeah.
2: My, my favorite of the uh, George Santos lies is the lineage of his grandparents. And the reason it's my favorite is because I have never really understood why so many candidates for Congress feel obligated to put what their grandparents did during World War II or whatever on their, in their campaign bio. And usually what I settle on is that, it's somebody who has, it's not that they're not impressive. It's just that usually it's somebody whose accomplishments are impressive, but not unique, right? Like they they went to a very good law school. They were a very good lawyer. Uh, they've been active in their community, but you know, like pretty standard stuff for somebody running for Congress. And those people will usually put in order to connect themselves with like veterans or, you know, Americana, they will put something about their grandfather. Being in World War Two or something like that, and I'm always like, "Come on, just that that doesn't have anything to do with what kind of member of Congress you're going to be." And you're just you're reaching. But I found it interesting that he was so adamant about rounding out the fullness of his uh, like campaign biography that he he made up some stuff about his grandparents. And the thing is, like his actually, it turns out his grandparents are from Brazil, and I'm sure had a a bit of a hard scrabble upbringing. It appears from everything. Which would have been interesting and unique all by itself. But he was like, no, I need to connect it to, you know, the Holocaust because I need this bank shot, you know, in my suburban New York community to go after this demographic. Uh, I found that interesting. I also found it sad on his part that he uh, neglected to include fake military service. I feel like that was a real Mm -hmm. missing piece. I mean, if you're going to do it.
0: Yeah, like go Herschel Walker. I think Herschel Walker yeah. claimed at various points to have served in the military when he didn't and have been an FBI agent or something. I might have that mm-hmm. one wrong, but- No, I the think The FBI right. agent's the good one. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, if Herschel Walker was an FBI agent, I feel like there would be a news article about that somewhere. But- <laughs> It would have been a big so, deal. <laughs> so I do want to take a second as a former Democratic operative to express my extreme dismay that this was not found and- Utilized effectively during the campaign. I don't know who is responsible for this. I have a but theory just, on this. New York is in a tough state. The Democratic Party in general, like there's just something going on that we lost a lot of congressional seats in New York, and this is just exhibit, you know, five hundred of just incompetence that has plagued our state. But what's your theory? Make me feel better about this.
2: Allow me to be an apologist for this. Um, because a lot of people have been, going much further than you, a lot of people have been blaming the Democrats for George Santos winning.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm know, not doing that. I'm
2: just right, saying, right, right, right which, which, which has caused yeah. me to think about this. Yeah. And what I have been thinking about is like, okay, let's look at the stuff that the guy lied about. And then let's look at the nature of opposition research, right? Well, the New York Times can call up Baruch College and they can ask, was this guy ever a student there? And they can get an answer because they're the New York Times. They can call up Citibank. They can call up Goldman Sachs. They can get answers on these things. Uh, I don't think an opposition research researcher can just call the college and be like, "I'd like this guy's academic records." I don't think he can call and get a response from city or she can get a, a response. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's you know most uh, most opposition research in politics that I have seen, and I've seen a fair amount. And probably so of you, is it's public records. But mom dying and- on
0: nine eleven though. That is easy to verify. Uh, Well, think about the- 15 years, I think it was 13 years after 9-11. Well, but he said that- It's got to be an obituary somewhere. So
2: that came out a week later, right? Because he said that in like a somewhat obscure interview, if I recall, Uh, which means you would have had to go to the level, and, and this is something opposition research does, but you would have had to go back and listen and find like every podcast interview the guy had done to find these inconsistencies, which I'm not saying, you know, that that's not an error on their part, but. How competitive was the race? How much money was expected? I mean, that's a full-time researcher or two.
0: It's funny you should mention this. I just want to say one thing on the opposition research front, because I feel like I'm doing U.S. service, Jason, by what we're doing is the equivalent of when a, a, when a law firm is, is in the middle of litigation, and we've all seen the movies where they send over like a truck full of boxes, uh-huh. so you can't find the thing. What I'm doing for any future opponents, if you ever decide to run again, by doing this podcast with you, is we're creating so much material that some unlucky opposition researcher one day is going to get the equivalent of a truck full of material, and they're going to have to find whatever they're looking for by listening to every one of these episodes.
2: I believe Steve Bannon called it flooding the system with shit.
0: There you go. (laughs) That's what I'm doing. Grace, go ahead.
1: One thing that stuck out to me about this story that – irks me about the opposition research angle as well, is that the North Shore Leader, which is a local publication in the area, did report on a lot of these inconsistencies. Mm, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. So there's this whole claim that like this is the death of local media, which I think on some level is warranted, but I actually feel like it's more like the death of attention mm-hmm. to local media mm-hmm. because it's one thing if the community doesn't pick that up because they're not tuned into this small publication. That's one big issue. But it's another thing if the if the opposition campaign then doesn't follow up on what is reported yes. to like already be inconsistent no, I did not know that. so like i feel like then if an opposition researcher can't call up baruch college to be like okay where is your records on this that at least becoming part of the public record because it is published they do have more legs to be like we're following up on this yeah. so i i don't really think that the democrats get off the hook on this one and i also think that it's just like a sad sad indictment of our Attention paid to local media.
2: Well, let me ask this: if just if just the academic and the employment stuff had come out, because that's the initial story, right? So that that's what would have been, I guess that would have come out. I'm not sure it beats him because no, these elections are so parliamentary.
0: Well, and there's a long history. I'm not of saying people, that
2: excuses it. I'm there's just a saying a long I wonder. history
0: of people fabricating aspects of their academic records. Like Biden, even in '88, had an issue where he. He exa- it's more exaggeration. He didn't make it up out of whole cloth, but he exaggerated certain aspects of his academic record. It was also in the middle of a plagiarism scandal he had, so it didn't help. Okay, but let me, let me highlight one thing here that is the most serious of these charges, which is that he provided his own campaign with a loan of $700,000, apparently from a $750,000 salary that he reported earning from this company called Devolder Organization, now
1: somewhere yeah, which sounds so evil which I just love. Yeah, something weird <laughs> happened in this The Devolder Yeah, org. very little is
0: known about this organization and there's this weird like period of time where he went from being a call center employee to working for a company that was that went under for being a Ponzi scheme to then having this company that has so much money and the allegation or the question I would say is 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 this some kind of scheme to funnel money to his campaign where somebody else is giving him money and then he's using it as a personal donation. Because like as background, if, if you or I were to donate to George Santos, we can only give a couple thousand bucks per federal campaign finance law. But if he gives money to his own campaign, he can give it an unlimited amount. So is there some murky donor in the background giving him tons of money to funnel this campaign and or are these proceeds from the Ponzi scheme that he did not Get input impl- like he was part of the company, but he never went, he never got criminally implicated in it. Be but like the, the one thing he never took credit for. <laughs> yeah, he didn't take credit <laughs> for that. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the most serious. Yeah.
2: Well, because there's tax evasion issues. If somebody gave him the money to give it, then it's income if he passed it directly through him. Also, from what I read, it sounds like, uh, at least looks like he was paying his own rent with campaign donations. Well, there's a um, series
0: of 199 and $0.99 expenditures on his FEC report, which if you want to know why that number shows up a lot, it is the $200 is the threshold at which you have to provide receipts. So nothing shady going on there. Yeah.
1: I just love that it's fully legal to just completely fabricate your entire identity and story. And everyone's like, we can't stop it, but you cannot lie about money. <laughs> and I just think that that's such a lovely and very American divide.
0: There is a provision of the constitution that could have the house remove him, but- Given everything we'll talk about in a second with Kevin McCarthy, that is not going to happen. Every vote matters, and th- the obvious point to make here is that something has changed in our politics. The Overton window has shifted about what, how much, which lies you can get away with. Surprise, right? Uh, Trump, just to to name it, which we're all thinking about here. The Washington Post had Trump's false and misleading claims during his presidency at 30,573. On November 2nd alone, the day before the 2020 vote, he made 503 false and misleading claims as he barnstormed the country to win a re-election. These lies are so numerous and just as serious, if not more serious, than anything Santos mentioned. We're talking about Obama's birth certificate, to the Alabama hurricane, if you remember Sharpie Gate, to China, like and the trade deficit, to paying off a porn star... It just came out this week that he wanted to trademark, quote, rigged election, despite acknowledging privately to Mark Milley from the Joint Chiefs of Staff that he knew that he had lost the election. So like, those are more serious lies here. So Santos is looking at his own party and saying, I'm in good company here. If they try to go after me, they're going to have to go after all of us. It's like a weird like inverse of the first they came from blah, 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 but like a, a weird GOP crazy town version of that and and
2: to to close the segment here is the here's the lesson here's the moral of the story for George Santos and that is if you are going to get caught in a massive lie or otherwise have a major political scandal you don't want it to happen during the period when no one is at work and there's nothing happening in the news yeah. the, that that's the moral of the story if this had happened the week after the election it we wouldn't have remembered it. It would have been a local story about this crazy guy. I don't even know if the Times bothers to do a follow-up story, but it happened during winter break when everyone's kids are home and no one's working and no one's doing anything. And it's all anybody had to talk about. Sorry, George.
0: So I'll let you all in, you know, behind the curtain a little bit. I literally was just about to sign up for this company, Rocket Money, on my own. And now I'm so excited to see that they're uh, doing an ad for our podcast because it's something that I truly think is an amazing product. It used to be called True Bill. It's a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. I think we've all had the experience of saying, oh, I didn't realize I've been paying this thing now for a whole year now. And I think this is a good time to just do a, an audit of everything you've ever signed up for. And you'd be like, oh, wow, Like I signed up for this thing. I thought it was a one-month subscription. And now I've been paying for it for months. They make it easy to cancel subscriptions. This is like the best part of this whole thing. You can click in the program and it will cancel the subscriptions for you, uh, so you don't have to go through each one individually. And over three million people have used Rocket Money, saving an average person of up to seven hundred twenty dollars a year. So stop throwing away your money, cancel unwanted subscriptions, and manage your expenses the easy way by going to RocketMoney.com/m54. That's Rocket Money dot com slash m54 rocketmoney.com slash m54 all
2: right if you've been listening to this show for a while you know how we feel about ag1 from athletic greens i think you know that we drink it every day you know that uh ravi drinks it at least used to in the morning i think now you're trying twice a day and i believe a wine glass was involved for a while
0: yeah we had a mishap on the way out here though so i i am ag1 less right now what yeah you, but you could probably tell You Um, do seem like you're dragging a little. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. yeah,
2: absolutely. And I feel like there's some gray hair there that wasn't there before. You know, you're you're the thousandth
0: person to point this out, Jason. Thank you for that. I feel really (laughs) good about the gray hair.
2: It's okay. I got a whole side that's gray. uh, Yeah. You know, it's it's a new year. And uh, look, if you've been listening to us talk about this for this long and you haven't tried it, like, now's the time. Give it a shot. Like, make this your New Year's resolution. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash majority. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash majority to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance.
0: I mean, this is really another trash talking segment really masquerading as news. This is the is, schadenfreude segment. Of it the week. is substantive, <laughs> and it's very related, actually. So Congress is supposed to be getting sworn in and seated right now, but there's been a huge monkey wrench thrown into all of this. Uh, uh, Republican leader Kevin McCarthy faced an open revolt yesterday. We're recording this on Wednesday, so this is a developing story, and, and I'm sure by the time this goes up, there will be new developments in it. But he failed in three rounds of balloting to earn enough votes to capture the speakership. This is the first time this has happened that any speaker has lost a any ballot uh this century and the first time anything like this has happened since like the nineteen twenties.
1: Wait, yeah. It's the first time this has happened in a century and that like the last time it happened was nineteen twenty three.
0: Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. So it's
1: exactly a hundred years, which is kinda beautiful.
2: Ravi, as as we speak, I'm just gonna tell you that uh apparently they're now headed to a fifth round of voting for the speaker. Oh wow Byron Donald's got six votes this time. <laughs>
0: Like It's funny. There was an article The Washington Post had that was like certain like expert all but two or something of the people who voted against McCarthy were election deniers. And I was like, oh, chickens come home to roost. And then the next paragraph is. But also almost every Republican actually in Congress is an election denier. So the majority of people who voted for McCarthy are also election deniers. And I'm like, well, you made your crazy bed.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: I will say that. And also this has brought up a lot of um – reflections on the young guns era of like him, Paul mm-hmm. Ryan and Eric Cantor. And I was like, wow, what a doomed trio. Like each one has met a like, more and more embarrassing demise. <laughs> Think about who was before them. Denny
0: Hastert, who went down in a uh, child molestation scandal and Tom DeLay, who went out, who went down in the um, lobbying scandal, the Abramoff scandal. I mean, this is and then Gingrich before them, who had his own scandal. I mean, this is this is a scandal plague bunch. Well, and also,
2: it should be noted that the theme is usually that the Democrats are in disarray, and the source for that theme is generally the fact that we have a a large coalition, uh, demographically, ethnically, ideologically. The Republicans don't have that diverse of a coalition, obviously, demographically or ethnically, but, but they it's not that big of a coalition anymore, even ideologically. I mean, based on the fact that you've got election deniers <laughs> who are for McCarthy, and are again, I mean, Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Green is like his biggest <laughs> proponent right now because she's like, "This dude's gonna put me on committees, y'all." And,
0: and no, wait, you're saying Green? Is, Green is for him? I oh yeah, yeah, oh, adamantly. Yeah. And
2: she's like,
1: "Bobert's not." Oh, Bobert's okay. not. Yeah, I was they're, mixing they're, up my crazy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay.
2: And she's, and it's like, it's, it's, uh, you know. Fanatical fratricide side at this point they're they're back and forth at each other boebert and green and gets and all these people my point being that at this point the republican party uh, the politicians have dialed in their ideology to the far right end of it and and the most moderate part of it now that they've exercised people like cheney and kinsinger and and folks like that it's not that wide of an ideological spectrum and they can't get it together and. The the way I think people should talk about this is if you don't think government matters and you don't think government is important, you won't do a good job being in charge of it. I, I just think that's what we have to take out of all
0: this. this may be moot, but I do think it's important it may be moot by the time moot this by the time this comes out, but it's important to note the implications of this. So if you don't elect a speaker, no one can get sworn in <laughs> whose new body which is
1: <laughs> pretty important and you can't
0: pass anything. Which I, I think there's part of us that's like great, like these crazy republic. But there's like there's stuff that I'm sure needs to happen in Congress, including debt ceiling raising and things like that. So there's 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 actually stuff that needs to to happen here. Now, do I think once they're sworn in, they're going to be responsible stewards of these decisions? No, and people might also be asking, well, could Jeffries win uh, the speakership theoretically because it's the it's the majority of voting members present. So at some point people might stop showing up to these votes and all you know it's anybody's bet what happens at that point he just needs so, six republicans can you even name one reasonable republican anymore no i mean it's not going to happen yeah.
2: but i'm saying yeah. like in theory it should be very doable I, what's more likely i would imagine is that there's some compromise candidate that's got an r next to their name that won't be a candidate of compromise because of who they yeah, are, Scalise but it would be because or, of what they offer. Jim
0: Jordan, who has his own sexual assault uh, the allegations, are at it least would just have to be a deal.
2: It. it would just be like, you get to be the vice chairs. On, you're not going to be ranking member. You're going to be vice chair on committees, stuff like that.
1: Well, can I ask you who you genuinely think this candidate could be, or if you Scalise. think the most likely scenario, oh, hold on, Robbie, or that the most likely scenario <laughs> is going to be that eventually people stop showing up to your point or enough people vote present that McCarthy does eventually win out?
2: I think, uh, I have no idea.
1: (laughs) Okay, we'll start with Robbie. Robbie, 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 I
2: started to to say what I think, and then I thought, I don't think
1: that.
0: So, okay, it's worth mentioning that it's impossible to get inside of the heads of the, the 10 or so odd crazy people who are holding a gun to Congress's head here. But it seems to me that... I think Jordan would be a rather strange pick because of his his baggage, but I think
2: he, he's not going to do it and because and he, he's smart enough to know that that he has skated under with all his scandals that he's he's at the very very height of where he can be without being destroyed uh, by real investigations into his background and I just think Jordan is like, nope, nope, not interested in that because I'd like to continue to be here."
1: I also wonder if there's just like just enough Republicans who are in just tight enough districts that Jim Jordan is a little too far mm-hmm. I would for their hope constituents. So. I would hope so. But I don't want to bank on that being the case.
0: Jordan, to be clear, has has supported McCarthy publicly. Now we've watched enough House of Cards to know who knows what's going on behind the scenes, but he's he's supporting it publicly. It It's also worth mentioning that no matter what happens in this vote, so if you're listening to this and it's already been resolved, the most notable part of this is that this is a This is revealing of how tough it's going to be to govern for whoever wins this, and McCarthy has been making concessions that make it even harder. so he one of the concessions he made is essentially five people in his coalition at any point can uh, hold a vote on the speakership. So he basically has to he's hostage to these members if even yeah. if he does win, and whoever does win is going to be saddled with you know a, a five vote veto essentially on the agenda
2: well there's 20 republicans voting against him right now so what that essentially would mean is that there's a 21 person committee that will be the speaker of the house if if he is able to pull this off or if you know if he just gets the what does he need the does he need 20 no he needs 16 i think right now or something like that so mm-hmm. if he just gets then it's a 17 person committee that's speaker and you know 16 out of the 17 are not him and they're nuts and and so uh i, I think even if by the time you're listening to this, this is resolved, if it's resolved and Kevin McCarthy is the speaker, it's not resolved. It's, only, it's resolved for a couple of weeks until there's something they don't like or, or whatever and they decide to just launch a coup.
1: But is this the scenario that we're doomed to even if, for instance, Scalise, who's second in command, ends up being the kind of consensus candidate?
0: Yes.
2: Uh, probably, yeah. Because Well, yes. The difference being, I guess, that if that happens, it's because Scalise gets, um, you know, he gets the Democrats to go with him because he comes up with a power sharing plan. Uh, and then he gets, what, 20, 30, not moderate, but like grown up. I mean, they probably won't be moderate, but the maybe grown up members of Congress uh, who are Republicans to, to go with him. Well, then at least what you've really got is, again, a 17 person uh, or so committee, but perhaps they'll be slightly less insane, uh, I guess is what you would get out of that. But I don't know.
0: Biden made me laugh because he was asked about this today and he said, not my problem.
2: <laughs> no, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: That's pretty good. Uh, I guess I'm wondering, because the Washington Post came out with like, the dark horse candidates that could potentially, you know, rise to prominence if like Scalise and McCarthy are both seen as like too entrenched. Um, and one of them was Elise Stefanik, oh God. which which really intrigued me because she came in like this young, cool thing who was pretty moderate and then went full MAGA. And then women are seen generally as more moderate or always viewed as to, to be more moderate. So is it possible that she emerges as a compromise candidate or do we think that mm-hmm. that's all media speculation that I just... Was interested I don't know,
2: by maybe she's like I could take off my red hat for this to be speaker like
0: well there's a there's a metaphor for this where people say I, I you know I, I I'm you're opining about the Kremlinology right like you're like during the Cold War like you know what's going on behind the scenes that's kind of what this is it's like who the hell knows right honestly like who are these people they they're they're so immoral self interested. And and what's crazy, I have a whole list of quotes I sent this to you. We we can't even do justice to them of the amount of barbed attacks that these members are, are sending to each other is that all the things we've been saying about them. They're starting to say about themselves. Like, so Dan Crenshaw, they're like children. This is such a childish attempt at gaining attention. This is all about petty personal issues that they have or petty attempts to gain notoriety. It's unbelievably frustrating that, and they should be held accountable for it by the American people. Agreed. welcome to the resistance dan crenshaw (laughs)
2: Uh, uh, there's another there's another tricky element to this that hasn't come into play yet which is that if you are going to have a consensus candidate that involves all of the democrats voting for them and then being a republican who then is going to create some sort of power sharing agreement what that requires is is the answer to a question that hasn't been asked yet which is is there going to be pressure from the left not to vote for somebody with an R next to their name? So far, that doesn't seem to be the case. But, and but that's really going to come down to people like AOC and Cory Bush setting the tone for that, right? Because if 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 that is offered, and AOC, Cory Bush, folks like that say, "Yeah, this is good. We're down with this," then that's you know that's probably going to rule the day as far as the message from the far left. But if that doesn't happen quickly, well, then that that immediately becomes grist for uh, anyone who is like a DSA member who wants to primary their Democratic member of Congress. That can very quickly become a reason, which is they voted for a Republican for Speaker. And as a result, we got and you just pick something that happens in the next two years. And so um, that's an interesting element to it that could, even if we get to that point, that could cause all of it to fall apart.
1: Part of why I think the Democrats in disarray moniker really sticks is because it's an alliteration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work with Republicans. Republicans in disarray, I mean, there's a strong R, but it's not it's the same. So I, guess you I-, gotta, I,
2: I tried it and people immediately had uh, gifts that they uh, replied to me with that were just Scooby Doo saying, row, row.
1: I just wonder what the alternative would be, what the what the alliterative version would be if you have one.
0: It's a good opportunity for a voicemail. That,
2: yeah. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, it's, let's throw it out there.
0: I was going to propose another thing via voicemail. I propose to our audience, I would love to play a game throughout this year, given some of this fun Republican on Republican infighting that's going to extend, I think, throughout the year, especially when you look at the Trump versus DeSantis stuff. If you want to send in voicemails, setting up two quotes, who said it quotes where one of the quotes is a Republican talking about their own people and one of the – like a Democrat, and we can guess once a week. We could guess which is the Republican and which is the Democrat talking about the Republicans because I suspect they're going to sound identical. And in some cases, they're even more barbed Republicans talking about themselves. So,
2: I love this. I'll throw it out instead of the end of the show. We'll do it now, 508-687-2589. Five zero eight six eight seven two five eight nine. Also, you can email us. In that case, I guess the producer would have to read it to us, or one of us would have to read it to the other. M five four at network dot com. Uh, yeah, man, I, I like that. That's a good. That's a good game. I will play that game.
0: The anniversary of January sixth is Friday, and the committee is wrapping up its work. They just released a ton of information, and there's a lot of substantive stuff in there, and there are are some juicy tidbits, including that Hope picks, for example, in the middle of all this, was getting worked up during January 6th, not for the state of our democracy, but because of her speaking fees would suffer, (laughs) which is is like an unbelievable reflection of who these people are. Probably
2: an accurate prediction on her part.
1: Yeah. I gotta say. Astute.
2: (laughs) Yeah. She said, in one day, he ended every future opportunity that doesn't include speaking engagements at the local Proud Boys chapter. And she said, all of us that didn't have jobs lined up will be perpetually unemployed. Uh, So, I mean, that's too bad.
0: I know there's just so much happening here. There's a criminal referral going on right now. There's all sorts of statements from outgoing Republicans like Kinziger and Cheney about the state of their party and this investigation, et cetera. Like, what do we think about now as, as so much time has passed between January 6th? I think part of me thinks that we're in a better place than I thought we would be at this point in terms of trying to hold the people accountable for this. We're seeing indictments. We also saw election deniers lose at the ballot box in November. There's at least the prospect of criminal charges being filed, like higher up officials down the line. Like, how are we feeling about the accountability aspect of this?
1: I think part of what I can't stop thinking about is that we all hopped on an emergency pod to nearly two years ago to cover January 6th. And I remember that day so viscerally, and it really doesn't feel like it was two years ago, which is just, or at least to me, it feels like it was far more recent than that. And I think that while I'm really encouraged by the referrals and also how much has been unearthed and even the, you know petty but illustrative texts of Hope Hicks um, as to their mental state at the time, I think is all really valuable for us to know. But I think this most recent release of transcripts, et cetera, showed that there was a lot of other details we never really quite got to the bottom of, particularly in in the Mark Meadows like texts and emails that he passed over but never gave a deposition or testimony for, included things like saying that the National Guard would be present at the Capitol on January 6th to protect pro-Trump people. And I appreciate that the committee was like, these are things we would have asked about had he, you know, complied with a subpoena. But those are questions that I still have and still want to know about. And I'm frustrated that this committee is coming to an end and that there's still going to be outside questions that we might not know for a very long time or potentially ever.
2: Yeah, I agree. That is very frustrating. Um, What I will say, uh, as far as on the positive side of what the committee accomplished during this time is that it was able to get into the nitty gritty of a lot of people who were lesser players, or in many cases were people we had never heard of until this investigation. And the reason I think that that's good is whether or not, and some of them I think will be held criminally accountable, but whether they are or not, uh, I do think that, it discourages in the future not necessarily to the degree that we would like some of the major players in a potential coup it's it, i don't know that they did enough to discourage a future president or majority leader or, or anything like that but i do think that future counsel to the president future you know lower level staffers the people who you really need in this situation to step up and say no this is not okay i'm going to blow the whistle on this i do think that this sends a message that history will know whether or not you did something that the 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 option of just standing by and letting it happen and thinking no one will know that you stood by and let it happen or that you didn't have an opportunity to stand up i i hope and i'm reasonably encouraged that this puts that possibility to bed which is a really good thing for the future
0: i i think we keep waiting for a clean victory on some of the stuff that's never going to come like it's it's a question of on balance are are we are we rooting out enough of this evil madness to keep our democracy humming along? and I feel better about that today than I did during the last anniversary of this, and I guess that's the most we could hope for at this point, like we had electoral accountability, we've had some legal accountability. Congress up until now has has done an admirable job, obviously not perfect. And they would probably keep going if they could. And maybe if some crazy stuff happens with the speaker vote, they can they can bring this thing back up. But but we do control the key levers of justice. Merrick Garland is sitting on a referral at this point now. So the question is, like, are we going to then sit back another year, like a year from now and look back and say, are we even in a better place? And I think there's a lot of reasons to be hopeful there.
2: For Grabenor, we mentioned this at the top of the show. Obviously, uh, a lot of money has already been put into the toy drive charity uh, for Damar Hamlin, um, but you know what? Throw in some more. It's it's going to be a charity that's probably going to do something really positive in Buffalo, where, as Robbie mentioned, it's a place that's uh, been hit hard in the last year. Um, so why not? Why not make yourself feel better and 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 help out? Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. The link to that. You can always reach out to us uh, As Robbie mentioned I, I again I like the idea Of giving us the quiz Whether it was said By a Republican About Republicans Or said by a Democrat About Republicans 508-687-2589 508-687-2589 You can email us M54 At wondermedianetwork.com As always I'm at Jason Cander On Instagram And Twitter Robbie is Got all He has all sorts of Great uh, Costa Rica Relatable stuff That won't yes. make you Dislike him at all uh, uh, on uh, During these winter months uh, At his Instagram And uh, you can also find his Twitter At Ravi Gupta on Twitter and Instagram Grace is at GraceLynch08 on Twitter I'm sure she has an Instagram But she never divulges it to all of you So trust issues with the audience Our show is at Majority54 on Twitter Remember, we all have a platform Make sure to use yours today
1: Alright You have to read the credits, Ravi
0: Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch, Edie Allard, Deiso agvin and Sarah Schleid. The music provided by Kemet Coleman and special thanks to Diana Kander. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Lucas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard Professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.